I've got to be honest, in the next two weeks, we're going to unpack something that I've never talked about before. It's something that I would say, this isn't my wheelhouse, hospitality. Uh, this is not something that, that comes natural for me. But I really am starting to believe that hospitality is actually what God calls us to in evangelism. See, when Christians practice the command to love one another, they are reflecting the hospitality of God. Hospitality is an important part of ministering to others with what we have. You see, the the new way to show hospitality looks something like this. You know what, I'll meet in a coffee shop for 30 minutes or maybe a restaurant where you get uncomfortable if you stay too long. Maybe let's stay 90 minutes. Hospitality makes all the difference. You see this throughout the pages of Scripture. The Old Testament is a story of God's hospitality toward the people He has chosen to make a nation. When God delivered the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt, He reminded them that they are pilgrims and strangers in a land that belongs to God. They were told of His hospitality and commanded to show the same hospitality to others. By the end of the Old Testament, Hospitality toward a stranger is expanded to include the widows, the orphans, the poor, and even the physically handicapped. In the closing book of the Old Testament, in Malachi chapter 3, we receive this warning that those who fail to care for widows and the fatherless, and those who deprive the sojourners, those who kind of wandered into the community, will be judged severely by God. That end in Malachi set the stage well for the ultimate act of hospitality in the New Testament. God sent His Son to dwell among men as a sojourner, to offer reconciliation and adoption as sons and daughters into the family of God. So we see that the New Testament is ripe with hospitality. It's been said this way, that hospitality is, the central, is central to the meaning of the gospel. Hospitality is central to the meaning of the gospel. It, it's more than just a spiritual discipline or a gift. And that's where I trip myself up. I, I would just say, well, I don't have the gift of hospitality. I have other gifts. But it's more than just a spiritual gift or discipline. I'm coming to understand that hospitality is the heart of the Christian faith. An author, Arthur Sutherland, described it this way. Christian hospitality is the intentional, responsible, caring act of welcoming or visiting in either public or private places those who are strangers, enemies, distressed, without any regard for what you'll get back, reciprocation. See, any time that you and I practice hospitality, we put human flesh on what the gospel is. It'd be difficult to find a page in the New Testament where we don't see hospitality. Commands to love one another permeate the gospels. And we learn that that being a good neighbor to those living among and around us is what it means to be a people of God. 
hospitality and instructions about hospitality reached an apex in Matthew 25. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, we see the Son of Man sitting in judgment over the world. And verse 31 says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He'll sit on His glorious throne. All the nations, verse 32, will be gathered before Him. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom has been uh, prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. If we had all the time in the world, we would continue to read, and we would see that the other group of people didn't do those things. On one side, there was the side who fed the hungry and the thirsty, who welcomed strangers, who clothed the naked, who visited the sick, and the people in prison. They were blessed. But judgment in this passage is on whether or not people showed hospitality or not. The interesting thing this week was as I looked at that passage, there's no mention of confession of sin or acknowledgement of who Christ is or any other formulas of faith or obedience. You see, when we extend love to strangers, we live out the mission of God, the missio dei in our context. Hospitality is modeled by God, it's personified in Christ, and it's expected of all of us. Hospitality may be summarized by that familiar passage of Scripture, that story that you can remember, the story of the Good Samaritan. Love your neighbor even if he or she is a stranger. See, Jesus, when he was on earth, actually demonstrated how we could balance the tension between pursuing holiness and being a friend of sinners. And Jesus did it through hospitality. He extended loving compassion to people around him. He served all who followed him and didn't let his disciples turn people away. He broke the religious boundaries and spoke with the woman at the well. He ate in the home of tax collectors. He touched and healed the unclean. He was called a friend of sinners. Jesus embraced strangers which were outside of his normal inner circle. Christian hospitality seeks to love individuals as God loves them without accepting or validating or embracing their beliefs and practice, which may run contrary to Jesus. Here's where we're going to sit this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 11. We just want to sit in this passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 11, it's a great story that Jesus tells. Luke chapter 11, if you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen. Dennis upstairs is doing a great job with a ton of slides today. 
Luke chapter 11, verse 1 says this, One day, always throw yourself into the story. Anytime we read God's word, you're going to see yourself and you're going to see God in it. You're going to learn a truth about how you react and you're going to learn a truth how God always reacts. Verse 1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John the Baptist taught his disciples. Verse 2, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. We're thrown back into the mountainside where Jesus talked to his disciples in Matthew chapter 5. In Luke chapter 11 verse 5, then we read this, Jesus said to them, a story. Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, hey, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely give up. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Look at verse 11, it continues. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, gives him a snake instead? For he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So let's just unpack that story. Let's walk through four things really quick. The very first one, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Look at verse 11, I mean chapter 11 in Luke, verse 5 through 8. Can you imagine? There's a friend who comes at at midnight. He's requesting bread for his surprise guest. Jesus begins this story in verse 5 by simply saying, suppose one of you has a friend. The, the same Greek, Greek free, phrasing, sorry, the same Greek phrasing is used elsewhere in the same Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 14, verse 5, Jesus says this, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath, will you not immediately pull him out? And that same theme is continued in Luke 15, verse 4, one chapter later, where Jesus says, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? So these three stories kind of sandwiched together. There's a similar response expected from the listening audience. So here we must also have this in mind. Can you imagine having a friend and going to him with this sacred request to help you entertain a guest. 
And your friend suddenly offers you all kinds of silly excuses about sleeping children and a locked door. We'd have to remember back when the Bible was written that people of the Middle East were legendary for their ability to show hospitality in any situation. So when Jesus asks if they can imagine a situation like this, we must understand that to refuse hospitality in this context is unthinkable. Okay, so we have the imagine. Let's now flip to the request. The situation is unusual, un- unusual, but not improbable. This friend arrives at midnight, and the custom is to feed him whether he's hungry or not. There's no food in the house, we assume. So he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, please lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a long journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. For you that hospitality is your sweet spot you know the feeling i got nothing we've run out of food back in the day when we could have potlucks there were certain times where we were like oh oh good there's only 50 here today we can make it you know that feeling inside of you Verse 5 and 6, he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine has come. The fact is that the guy probably had a broken loaf or two. Maybe he had some leftovers in the Tupperware jar. Maybe he had a half jug of, of wine. But that doesn't do when you have a guest come over. Back then, it was insulting to offer anything but a whole loaf of bread. And the host asked for three because it was always customary to offer more than the guest could eat, even though he really only needed one loaf. See, the the guest would take the loaf, break a piece off, and dip it into the bowls of meat or sauce and eat it. Bread acted as the fork and the knife and the spoon for the eater. This is a great youth ministry time. Double dipping was not appropriate, just like it isn't today. Thus, a whole loaf was needed to have enough pieces to dip with. In communities back then, it was really easy. It was obvious to to everyone who had baked bread. You know, when you walk into your house and maybe your grandmother or your, your mother or your father bakes bread, you can smell it. That would have been wafting through the community. Everybody knew who was baking bread. The host knew that the sleeping friend had bread and comes to him for that necessity. The the sleeper knows that the host will be going house to house to gather other parts of the meal. That's how that culture operated. Underlying in this story that Jesus is saying is the understanding that the visitor is not just the guest of the individual, but the guest of the entire community. See, it's not just the individual who is honored by the visit of the guest, but the whole community. Friends, this is what happens at Renfrew when people come. We together are responsible for the guest. Well, let's keep walking. The the third area, a question of honor. 
We know the request, and we know the initial answer. The sleeper says no to the request. But why does the sleeper change his mind? We read this, verse 8, if you still have your Bibles open. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him bread, because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. The impression that we get from our translations of this verse is that the sleeper eventually gives in because of the boldness or persistence of the host. Many different translators, I'll go a little technical here, translators have tried to put a positive spin on a negative word. So they've translated it as boldness or persistence or even this phrase, shameless persistence. But friends, I I believe these are inadequate substitutions for the word that Jesus intended. The word that was translated was shamelessness. And I don't believe that it applies to the host, but to the sleeper. In other words, it's an avoidance of shame that compels the sleeping man to get up and help his friend. There's no indication that the host is persistent. He simply just asked for bread. Persistence or boldness was never applied to this word in the first century. It was all about the honor of the man with the bread. The sleeper knows that the borrower must gather up food for his guest's meal from various neighbors. By morning, the the story would be all over the village. He would be shamed by all his neighbors. So to avoid this public shaming, he gets up and gives the host whatever he wants. Well, let's put a bow on this this talk this morning, the fourth area, what is the hospitality that Jesus talks about? What does hospitality teach us about God and hospitality? Anytime we're involved in in hospitality, it teaches us about the nature of God. One major theme that we see in this little passage of Scripture from Luke chapter 11 is the application of who God really is. God is a God of honor and a God of hospitality. If we return to the context of what Jesus said, we can see that this story follows his teaching on how to pray. Jesus wants his disciples to understand God's attitude toward their efforts in prayer. Think of the story in this way, friends. When you go to this kind of neighbor, everything is against you. You've been there. It's late at night. Maybe you've checked your watch and you've went, are they still up? I don't know if I should call. Maybe I'll wait till the morning. See, everything was against the person making the request. It's midnight. It's an appropriate time to be asking for anything. He's asleep. The door is locked. Children are sleeping in the house. The man that you are asking for bread from is a man of honor. He doesn't want to damage that reputation. Friends, I want you to think of God for a second. The God to whom you pray is a God of honor and a God of hospitality, a reputation that God himself will not go against. And besides this, unlike the sleeping man, God loves you. 
But hospitality also teaches us this about our assurance. If I can go to a neighbor like this and have my needs met, how much more confident can I be to go to God, my Heavenly Father, and ask for things? Here then is why I believe the word boldness or persistence doesn't fit into the story. It is true that you and I can approach the throne of grace with confidence, but that's not what the passage is trying to teach us. Jesus said to pray like this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us and don't lead us into temptation. God is a God who will grant our requests. God doesn't make us beg, but will welcome us into the home of blessing. We have this assurance that God will meet our needs. But it also teaches us that we have a responsibility to community. If you and I want to live godly lives to show the character of Christ to others, then we have to imitate Christ and his heart. In Luke 14, there's a little story. Jesus was invited to a dinner put on by a Pharisee, the religious leaders. This Pharisee had much to say. Luke 14, verse 12 through 14, Jesus said this, when you give a luncheon or dinner and you don't invite your friends, your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, if you do, they may invite you back so that you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, always invite the poor. Always invite the crippled. Always invite the lame. Always invite the blind. And then you'll be blessed. Although these people can't repay you, Christ says, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. There are many reasons for us at Renfrew to show hospitality. One reason that the story in Luke chapter 11 made was we have a duty to our community. Friends, what do we as individuals reflect on the community of Renfrew Baptist Church as a whole? What we do as, as people connected to this community of faith says a lot about us as a church. When a visitor or people come to our church how many invitations do they receive before they walk out of the doors? Inviting people over to our homes is not simply to provide a meal. What it does offer them is an opportunity to see our faith at work. So if someone comes to Renfrew and they're invited to our homes, they have a chance to see Jesus in us. Our aim is to make them feel comfortable and important because that's how God sees them. You might have got hung up on this. Who are the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame? Friends, these are just people who don't know Christ yet. And they need us as friends to show them Christ. Our goal here is not to convert them, though we hope they'll believe in Jesus but simply to, be, to befriend them and love them as God loves them. And here's the final one. There's always unexpected blessings when we show hospitality. We always invite strangers to become friends. 
Hebrews 13 verse 2 reminds us of an exciting prospect when showing hospitality. The writer of Hebrews said this, Don't forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so some people have entertained angels without even knowing it. Even so, Jesus makes it incredibly clear that there is a greater presence to be aware of in showing hospitality. Matthew 25, Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of the brothers of of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. When you and I show hospitality to those outside of our circle of friends, outside of our families, we are entertaining Christ himself. To be welcomed, to be loved, to be entertained in an appropriate manner fills the soul with such comfort and wipes away the tension of our fast-paced lives. It does our hearts good, too, to stop and do something for others that requires only opening our homes and our hearts to those who are broken. Go back to that story in Luke chapter 11. Our honor compels us to show this hospitality because we love God and we respect the community of faith. Another author, Christine Pohl, said this, Hospitality is central to the meaning of the gospel and is simply a practice by which we can welcome Jesus. On your screen, you're going to see a few things here. Hospitality is this. It involves some simple actions. We can welcome people to a meal. We have great food. We listen. And we share ordinary stories. See, people are not a statistic to be won or counted. I want to say this, that practicing hospitality is not about these things at the start. It's not about witnessing or evangelism at the start. It's not about them ultimately being invited to church. In Luke chapter 11, we learn a a really simple thing. It's simply a about providing bread for a guest. Let's pray. God, thank you. If I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. If you used me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. We love you. In your name, amen.